invite you to take your copy of God's Word now and turn to John chapter number 15. While you are turning there, I want to uh, take a moment. Howard was talking about service and different methods of service. And uh, this weekend is the weekend that we set aside as a nation to celebrate Veterans Day. And so I want to take a moment and thank all of our veterans uh, for the service that they did to our nation and for our nation. Uh, they all, too, had different MOSs. Uh, but they all successfully did them. And so if you're a veteran, would you just stand for a moment, please? We thank you for your service. Uh, and being a, a son of Onslow County, I would be remiss if I didn't say happy birthday to the United States Marine Corps today. So uh, we want to give thanks for that. All right, it's good to come to God's Word now. So let's pause and ask Him to open our hearts and our eyes for what it is that He has to say to us. Let us pray. Father, speak to us. Speak to us wisdom and knowledge. Speak to us words of grace and words of conviction. Speak to us of your abundant love and mercy. Speak to us of your provision for the task that you have assigned us to. For Lord, our desire today is to hear from you. So, Lord, give me the words that are needed for those gathered here as we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Sir Isaac Newton's third law of motion states that for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. I believe that this is a truth that can be held not only for nature, but for faith as well. We can rest assured that any time we take up Jesus' call, as found at the end of chapter 14, to arise and go and meet the enemy in the field of battle, we will not find the field barren of opposition but will find a great force waiting to push back. There is a seeming inevitability that evil will fight back, according to the first few lines in this morning's text. And why is that? Look with me first, verses 18 and 19. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Evil, beloved, will fight us simply for the fact that we have changed allegiances. 
We switch allegiances through salvation when we profess Jesus Christ as Lord of our life. And in doing so, we betray the other side. And they will do everything in their power to tear us down. Now, let's go ahead and be clear on something this morning because there may be some who believe that they have or have never had an allegiance to evil. Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Did you catch that? Following the course of this world, in other words, following someone else's direction, following the prince of the power of the air, in other words, following a cause contrary to the cause of Christ, we followed. But God, being rich in mercy, saved us and enabled us to change our allegiances. And because of that, Jesus said, you have come out of the world and therefore the world hates you now. You have been saved by grace, something they have no comprehension of. Now, I would be remiss, though, if I didn't pause for a moment this morning and ask the question, given the fact that we have switched allegiances, is there any evidence of that grace which saves us in our lives? Or did we have just enough grace to save us and we haven't gone back to God for more? We haven't let grace do a transformative work in our hearts. We all have times, beloved, we all have times where it would appear that we are double agents, where we let the forces of sin reign in us more than we do the forces of righteousness. The question is, has sanctification worked in our lives, though, to the point where these times become less and less. Put it in a different way. Does your walk of faith this morning give the forces of evil something even greater to hate? Are you walking in faith such that the world and the forces that are aligned with it dislike you more and more? Secondly, Jesus says that we had best face opposition because if we don't, we are failing to walk in his steps. Notice verses 20 and 21. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things that they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. 
Beloved, we must always remember that our position in the kingdom of God is as servants of God. Accordingly, our interests are not to come secondary to His interest. Our desires are not to come secondary to His desires. Our thoughts are to become secondary to His thoughts. We should always come in the position of number two when it comes to our walk with God. Andrew Murray put it this way. Christ's servants have the spiritual power to use the name of Jesus only insofar as they yield themselves to live only for the interest and the work of the master. The use of the name always supposes the surrender of our interests to him who we represent. So, have you ever stopped to think that maybe the reason that you're not encountering opposition in your faith journey is that your interests are not serving the kingdom, but they're serving yourself. Beloved, are you following the words of Jesus to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness? Or are you trying to build your own kingdom? We live in a society that is perpetually trying to build its own kingdom. And all of those kingdoms will always fall. But the kingdom of God will stand. And therefore, we should put all of our efforts into advancing that kingdom. But Jesus goes a step further. Jesus states that we will face opposition in our faith journey because of the lifestyle we live. Notice verses 22 through 24. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Clearly, Jesus says that because of all that he did amongst them... He incurred the hatred of the world. So beloved, does your lifestyle convict others of their lifestyle choices? Now, hear me. I'm not asking this question this way this morning. I'm not asking, are you so holy that no one desires to be around you? Alright? That's not what I'm asking. I am asking, is, are you living a life that the work of grace has been so transformative that you ooze grace and mercy and the love of God that it convicts people of the actions just as Jesus did? Verse 24, you notice, says, If I had not done among them the works that no one else did. Jesus is very emphatic that it's not simply what we say and how we journey in faith, but how we live that should convict others. Two weeks after the hostilities in Iraq officially ceased in April of 2003, a team of 
Open Doors missionaries traveled there and visited with church leaders primarily to tell them that they were praying for them and to be an encouragement and say that we are here and willing to assist in you rebuilding. On that trip, they visited the widow of a 38-year-old named Zawar Muhammad Ismail. He was a Kurdish Muslim who had converted to Christianity and for four years had had a vibrant faith witness to his friends and neighbors. He was a taxi driver in his hometown of Zako, which is in the northern border regions of Iraq. And he would witness to every passenger. And if he thought that they were interested in learning more about Christianity, he would hand them a Bible. Now you probably can guess that this didn't set well with the Muslim religious leaders of his community and they grew increasingly angry at Zawar and they started naming him in the mosque as a troublemaker. And so it was that he was standing at the taxi stand on February the 17th of 2003 when a man walked up to him and said, Zawar, will you come back to Islam? And he replied, no, I'm happy with my faith. The stranger then said, well, will you take tea with me to discuss it? Ah, Zawar thinks, someone wants to know more about Christianity. I will walk with them and I will tell them. I will be a faithful witness. And so he walks off with this stranger. And a little while later, Someone hears the shouts of Allahu Akbar as they hear gunshots start ringing out. The assassin ran, but Zawar remained, lying dead in a large pool of blood, his body riddled with 28 bullets. You see, beloved. Zawar's words and actions were convicting. And it cost him his life. We should understand, we should understand that just as it is inevitable that we will face opposition in our faith journey, that that opposition will not be half-hearted, but it will be brutal, just as it was in Zawar's death. Jesus says as much in verse number 2 of chapter number 16. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. I realize this morning that some of you may be thinking to yourself... That in this land of liberty in which we live, that it is next to impossible for you to be killed for your faith. But we forget that there are thousands of ways that we can die and still be physically alive. And so this morning, beloved, are you willing to put your reputation on the line because of your faith? 
Are you willing this morning to put your finances on the line if it means that you will be killed for your faith? Are you willing to suffer much loss for your faith, even the loss of relationships with those that you hold so dear because of your faith? We cannot shirk ourselves from the fight, beloved, because we are afraid we might lose something. Because Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Gregory VII said it this way, I have loved righteousness and hated iniquity, therefore I die in exile. Are you willing, beloved, to lose everything so that at the end, the only thing you have is Jesus? Because that is what he is calling us to. Now let me note one additional thing. Did you catch in Zawar's story that the implication is there that the man who killed Zawar was acting on behalf of God? Jesus mentioned such actions in the last part of verse number 2. Did you catch that? Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. The sad thing is that this perversion of God's service is a key element of today's opposition to the work of God. And I am not simply talking this morning about religious zealots, but I am talking about amongst Christians. The best thing that the enemy can ever do is to get us fighting amongst ourselves. And so churches across the country are relative, regularly ripped asunder by those who think they are doing the bidding of God. I'm sorry. The color of the carpet is not something that God really cares about. I'll take it a step further. From my own life history, the color of the bows that are on the Christmas wreaths hanging in the sanctuary are not something God cares about. I'll tell you that story later if you'd like to know it. Recently, a large church in Florida voted down a pastoral candidate because he was an African-American married to a Caucasian woman. Beloved, God is not worried about the color of our skin. He is worried about the condition of our hearts. I think modern evangelicals battle a lot about a many, great many things that God really doesn't care about because we have forgotten that the main thing that we are to care about are souls. And so we have lifted many picayune things up to mountainous levels and it is destroying our witness Jesus states in verse number 3, And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. They will do these things in which they think they're serving God because they, they don't know the Father or me. In other words, Jesus says that the problem here is a heart issue. A heart issue. 
Let us always strive to live and witness in such a way that the only question about our heart, the only issue about our heart is just how much more grace can our heart give and share to a world that needs it? How wide open is our heart so that the flood of God's love and mercy comes raining into us and pours out into a world that is dry and desperately needs the moisture that is found in God's abundant grace? That is a hill worth dying on, beloved. And that's the only hill I can think of that is. Now, in the face of such brutal opposition, it is important to remember a vital lesson. And let's, to keep us, if you will, from going AWOL in God's service. And that is this. The opposition does not have the final say on the matter. God promises us these things. Verse 25 of chapter 15. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Jesus says, I've got to fulfill the scriptures. Now, beloved, understand something. If he's going to go and die, if he's going to live a life that causes people to hate him, to fulfill the scriptures... Do you not think that he will cause every promise of God to be fulfilled in your life and mine if we go out to live his call? So what about it? Do we think that he will not be present with us always if we go out and obey his call? Do we actually think that he will be a present help in time of trouble? The gates of hell shall not prevail against the forces of God, Jesus said. Do we think that he will change his mind on that? Oh, but Pastor Mark, I don't necessarily have the resources. God will not give me the resources. Oh, that's a lie too. Because he said that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So therefore, he will take care of us. This is the creator of all the universe who calls things that are not as though they were and snaps his fingers and light comes into existence. Who somehow took nothing and spun it and a whole grand universe came into play so beloved if he can do all that and he makes all of these promises do we not think that he would not provide for us and so we can laugh if that's the excuse at the opposition and go out and do it but he goes further he goes further verse 26 but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. The Spirit, beloved, will go before us, preparing the way. Our task is simply to go and find where God has already gone and prepared and do his work. The author Sun Tzu, who wrote the book The Art of War, said that one of the secrets to warfare is that you do not let your enemy pick the battlefield. 
you pick the battlefield. You make sure that it is all lined up for you. So let me give you a little secret here, beloved. God has prepared the battlefield. It's lined up on his terms. He set us up for victory. The only way that we can lose this fight is if we don't go fight the battle. Now we may say, I want to go fight this battle. But hear me, beloved. This battle may not be what God is calling you to. This battle may be. And if you go fight this battle, what are you going to do? Well, this battle hasn't been prepared yet. So you're going to lose. Everything, beloved, God prepares. He says to Amos, I do nothing without making myself aware at first. I do nothing without telegraphing what I'm going to do. And Jesus says here that the Spirit has gone out ahead of us and is preparing. So are you following the Spirit enough to know that He is the one directing your path and you're fighting His fight? Or are you far off kilter? We love to go fight fights as Christians that God has not called us to. Plain and simple. And we keep wondering why we're losing. And the simple thing is because we're operating outside of the unction of the Holy Spirit. Because if we are operating under the unction, the provision is there. And we can go. But he finally says this in verses 1 through 4. 1 and 4, excuse me, of chapter 16. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Verse number 4. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Jesus says, I've prepared you. I've prepared you. He says, I've not left you off guard. I've prepared you. Haven't we seen that time and time again in this sermon series? He's prepared them and he's prepared us. He's adequately equipped them for the fight. And so they must go and wage it and so must we. And so must we. You know, very often you and I will look at situations of our life and we will say that this happened or this happened or this happened and that was bad. And we miss the point. We miss the point entirely. We miss the point that that is simply preparation for where we got to go next. That God uses it to give us the victory that is to come. So, beloved, hear that. God has set Grove Park up today for victory. 
He has clearly delineated the ways and means in which to go and fight. Everything is a plus on our column. If we fight his fight. But if we don't. If we don't. We're going to be like Mississippi Valley State. Mississippi Valley State. Where is that even at? I don't know, but I'm guessing Mississippi. But this week they went and played basketball in Utah and they set a record for the largest margin of loss ever. I think it was like 90 some points. We don't. If God's bothered and gone through so much trouble to set us up for victory, what a snub it is to Him if we say we're not going to go fight His fight. And so, beloved, He says here, yes, you're going to face, you're going to face a battle, but keep your chin up. I've given you everything you need. You're no better than I am. They killed me. They might kill you. But remember, I won. And because I win, so will you. The battlefield is a rave drove park. Will you go and engage the fight? Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that you have not left us as orphans, but that you have prepared and sent us into a fight that if we fight it on your terms, on your choosing of battlefield, we win. So give us strength, Lord, to do that today. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Where has God spoken to you today? Where is it in your life that you feel defeated and you've heard him say, keep your chin up, we're going to win this. Where is it in life today that God has showed you you're fighting the wrong fight? You're on a completely different battlefield Come to the battlefield I've set up. Maybe today you've, you've been in the wrong fight because you're following the wrong master. And you need to give your heart to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've wandered away from him and you need to recommit your life today. Maybe today what God's calling to you to do is to be part of a faithful group of sold out folks who are just willing to go wage an absolute war for souls known as Grove Park Baptist Church. I don't know what it is he said to you, but I know this. He's made it clear in the text. Whatever he calls you to, he will enable you to do it. And so therefore, whatever he's spoken, you answer today as we stand and sing. Would you come?